This is KMTT, Kimitzion Titzei Torah, in uh, the summer's man, starting uh, now after Pesach. We'll be having a series of shiurim by Harav Moshe Tarragon on Pekei Avot, to complement, hopefully, your own learning of Pekei Avot each week, a different parak, one Mishnah, one idea, from each parak keeping up with the general learning. Harav Moshe Tarragon. The very first Mishnah of the first parak of Perkiavos, after describing the transmission sequence, Moshe delivering the Torah to Yoshua, subsequently Yoshua delivers it to Biskanim, etc., etc. And it is intriguing that of all the Mesechdos to be introduced with this chain of transmission, it's Mesechas Avos. One may have expected perhaps Mesechas Brachos to begin in this vein, in as much as it's the initial Mesechta, it's the launching of Tarash Shabbat Yet for reasons, I won't describe them in this year, Rabbi Hidanasi began Perkei Avos, specifically by tracing the transmission. And the transmission, of course, continues into the second Beis HaMikdash. And the transmission of prophecy, or Torah along with prophecy, ends with the Anshe Knesset Hagedola, the men of the Great Assembly, in the early part of the first Beit HaMikdash. The last member of the Anshe Knesset Hagedola was Shimon HaTzadik. And the second mission, of course, of Perki Avos in the first paragraph begins with his famous statement, Al Shlosha Devarim Haolim Omer Al Hatara Al Havoda Al Gamilas Hasadim. But the end of the first mission describes three statements which were anonymously authored by the Anshe Knesset Hagidola. It's not exactly clear which member of the Anshe Knesset Hagidola first codified or formulated this three-part statement, but it's the first statement of Pirkei Avos. It's the first moment or the first recorded statement during which the Anshe Knesset Hagidola begin to formulate and to form the, um, the cornerstones of character, of religious experience, of everything that Perki Avos is meant to contain. Unlike the halachic aspects of Torah Shabbat, which are more or less condensed into neatly and carefully defined compartments, to the laws of Shabbos can be found in Mesech Shabbos, just as the laws of uh, courts and the judicial process can be located or encapsulated in Mesech Sanhedrin. The world of Agadita, the world of religious experience, personal development, thought, philosophy, belief, this was never codified in some centralized fashion. There are ideas strewn across vast bodies of rabbinic literature, whether it's Medrash, Medrash Rabbah, Medrash Tanchuma, Medrash Halacha, Mechilta, Sifres, whether it's the assorted Agadita to which the Gemara devolves in certain mesechtos at certain locations. But probably the most organized and systemic attempt to codify or classify the world of Jewish thought and Jewish behavior is, of course, the section known as Meseches Avos, or referred to affectionately as Perki Avos, and recited during the weeks between Pesach and Shavuos and to some the weeks between Pesach and Rosh Hashanah. So this is the first recorded statement. And it begins with a very fascinating, fascinating recommendation. 
first statement of Ferkiabos, the first moral um, exhortation or suggestion. Hevo misumim badin. Literally, to be deliberate, to be thoughtful, to be um, careful and cautious rather than hasty and impetuous when rendering judgment. Now, of course, for us, the world of judges and judgment and justice is unfortunately a very distant one. We've lost more or less Jewish autonomy. In most cases in today's world, the authoritative world of Abayzid is nothing more than a moral suggestion. Of course, those who fear Torah and register rabbinic positions seriously take it as more than a suggestion. Let's see it as binding, but... The basin per se has lost its authority because we are no longer capable of administering punishment. And certainly outside of Eretisro, we in most cases don't possess the authority or the autonomy to administer punishment and penalty. It's more than just the lack of a deterrent and the lack of a, an arm of, of um, administration or administering justice. We've lost smicha. We've lost the Transmission, which the beginning of Perfi Avos describes, Ishmi Piyish from Moshe Rabbeinu. And until we can reconstitute Smicha, our options in the judicial sphere are quite limited. So today, Rab can um, argue a halachic position, can rule about halachic suffix, but that's not a psak, that's just informing, informing those who are less informed of the halachic mandate. Or in some cases, interpreting and applying, but it doesn't have the same power as litigating between two parties or adjudicating between two litigants, ministering penalties for violations of halacha. But of course, to the especially in the Torah Shabbat era, before Torah Shabbat was committed to text, rendering judgments, verdicts, edicts, whether it's in the literal sense between two litigants opposing each other, or in the broader sense, clarifying and elucidating the halachic reality, very, very dominant and prevalent part of daily life. So the recommendation of heaven misunim badin, to be deliberate, to be thoughtful, relaxed, slow, careful, examined, is a very crucial part of really the day-to-day experience. And of course, to us, this seems very remote, almost irrelevant. How many of us will actually sit in judgment, will actually perform the function, the office of an actual judge? It's sad that it seems so remote to our world, but it is. However, Chazal offer many, many alternate related interpretations and applications. And each of these provides additional vistas, additional opportunities to apply the concept of misunim badin, or betunim badin, to be deliberate, not impetuous, not hasty, not quick, not rapid. The first is a context or an application articulated in Avot Drevi Natan, in a parallel collection of statements regarding Jewish thought, belief, and behavior. Um, a little bit more elaborate, a little bit more extensive than Perfi Avos, which was written in very pithy 
condensed style. But in Avos Rebbe Natan, the following application is described. Have a metunim badin keitzah. The Gemara describes three works of Shlomo, which were originally met with stiff opposition, and not just opposition, but suspicion, and ultimately banishment. According to this version of Avos Rebbe Natan, Kohelet, Shir Hashirim, and Mishlei were all met with dubious, dubious reception. Now there's a parallel text, Gemar and Shabbos, Daflamid, which mentions the uneasiness which Kohelas caused. And Kohelas caused uneasiness for two reasons. Number one, because it's replete with contradictions. Bikshu Chachamim, the Gemara says in Shabbos, Daflamid, Lignos Sefer Kohelas Mivneshet Varav Sotrim because the too many contradictions is, for example, Simcha, joy and happiness, something desirable, commendable, or is it disdainful? Is it frivolous? Which is superior? Anger or happiness? Tov Kas Mishok, and various other seeming contradictions. Now the Gemara speaks not just of the contradictory nature of Kohelas, but of the provocative nature. In particular, there is a Pasuk in which Shlomo HaMelech encourages a young person to enjoy, to pursue pleasure and indulgence, smach b'chor to uh, enjoy life almost with impunity, without any sense of consequence or future um, accounting. And people were very uneasy, very, very uncomfortable, facing the contradictory nature of Kohelas, as well as the provocative statements. Now, this Mishnah in Avos Drivinasa, in parallel to our Mishnah, includes, ironically enough, well, Shir Hashirim is obvious, it brings the same level of provocation, some ways even more provocative, Shlomo HaMelech employs sexual imagery to capture this incredible historical love between God and people, the march of the Jewish people through history, the pursuant, the pursuit of each other throughout history, throughout the challenge of history, a force, a passion, an energy so powerful that it can only be captured in sexual connotation. That's how surpassing, that's how unbounded and unlimited the love between God and people is. But it's still highly provocative. And of course it's been abused. It's been manipulated. People unfortunately still read Shir Hashirim as a love sonnet. Or worse, certain people see it in pornographic terms, Chalil Vachas, and it's not just the holy book of this Tanakh, but according to Yudekiva, a very famous Mishnah in Yudayim, it's Kodesh Kodeshim, the holiest book authored. And of course it's not just a provocative book which employs sexual imagery, but it was authored by Shlomo HaMelech himself could have been, uh, you could have well imagined perhaps that if a more, so to speak, celibate individual who hadn't fallen prey to the sexual whims or the sexual challenges that Shlomo Melech evidently succumbed to by indulging in the paganistic rituals of his wives from Egypt and other foreign countries with foreign deities, well maybe another person, purer of heart, straighter of spirit, may have been granted poetic license, so to speak, 
to employ sexual imagery to capture the historical dance between God and his people. But Shlomo Melech is probably the, the most, um, uh, the, the least likely, the least fitting candidate. And yet he authored a book that um, only Shlomo Melech in retrospect could have authored. Only some of his sweep, only with some of his imagination, his wisdom, with his exposure, his view of history, his position in history, and evidently someone who understood and who was able to evoke an entire world of passion and employ it to describe the feelings between Hashem and man that's with the ultimate Hashem and Amisov, which surpasses words, surpasses prose. But Shir Hashim itself may not be contradictory. It means more like a poem and the music of history. But it certainly is provocative. And interestingly enough, according to this Mishnah and Amistad of Nasan, Mishlei as well. Mishlei as well was um, a sefer which was questioned upon first production and presentation. And the Mishnah describes how a few generations after their authorship, so in the days of Chizkiah, finally all these contradictions were reconciled, were explained. All these issues which may have been edgy and to some racy and unacceptable were put into context. And these three Svarim, so to speak, stood the test of time and became canonized as part of Sifrei Tanakh. And the Mishnah and Avistar of Nasan cites a Pasuk in um, Mishlei. Now these are the parables which the men of Chizkiah copied. Of course, the men of Chizkiah didn't copy them. Shlomo Melech authored Mishlei. But the men of Chizkiah, the scholars of Chizkiah, the, the Tamid HaChamim in Chizkiah's court, were responsible for reconstituting, for validating, for um, confirming the holy nature of these three svarim. And this is an exercise and an example, according to Chazal, in Avastri of Nasan, for the value of slow, deliberate, thoughtful, examined um, consideration. For if the decision regarding Shlomo Melech's books and svarim had been reached immediately, then perhaps they would have been burnt. But fortunately, fortunately for history, these books were given more careful and um, close examination. So according to Avistar of Nassim, the value of deliberate thought, of careful questioning, of thinking about things in complex terms, of recognizing the danger of quick and absolute thought. Sometimes we're very quick, especially in the world of ideology, to adopt positions, to stake our claims, to denigrate or dismiss positions which we see as dangerous or as um, unsuitable. And one can well imagine the contemporaries of Shlomo who were um, dismayed by some of his svarim, rejecting them, dismissing them in the name and for the sake of religion, because they were too contradictory, they were too provocative, their author was too um, too um, controversial a person. Um, the Rambam's books were also burnt. The Rambam's books met with a lot of opposition, and they, too, stood the test of time. Even one of the great classics of Musr, the Masil Asishar, authored by Moshe Chaim Lutzata, in the early part of the 18th century, also a very Kabbalistic and to some controversial figure, especially operating in the wake of 
Sabathianist movement, there were heightened sensitivities about the dangers of unbridled mysticism, and it took someone like the Vilnago to redeem, to restore the importance of what has become one of the classics of Musa. So, what's fascinating is that a statement which in Perkei Avos can be delimited or framed solely around the judicial process, reaching judgment, adjudication in a precise and deliberate fashion, a Quintero Avos Nasan refers to the broader question of how we judge, in this case, Svarim. It's not just Svarim, it's not just positions, it's also people. Very interesting pasuk um, in Parshas Kedoshim. Parshas Kedoshim, the section, Parakyutes, again, describing what seems to be very strictly legal and legalese type of restrictions and ordinances. Lo tasu avel bamishpat. Don't perform distortion or perversion when sitting in judgment issue inaccurate or false verdicts. Don't discriminate in favor of a wealthy. Don't discriminate uh, out of compassion in a charitable fashion to the indigent. And Parakirtas Pasuk Tesvav concludes with a three-word phrase which in many ways seems redundant. B'Tzedek Keshbar HaMisacha should judge your colleague in Tzedek in honesty and righteousness and justice. Well, it's a nice summary for the first two or three phrases of the Pasuk, but it seems superfluous. And the phrase Amisech also seems seemingly inaccurate because the judge is not a colleague of the litigant, but he performs a very different office. And much of Western law, and certainly American society, the person has a right to a jury by his peers. Um, Halacha doesn't see the judge as a peer. The judge is an appointed official who possesses authority. Elohim Nitzav Ba'adas Kel. Baruch Hu, uh, is is resident in a Jewish court and that has the authority of a Kodesh Baruch Hu's presence. So Rashi quotes the Gemara Sanhedrin that Lamed Beis. The Gemara Sanhedrin claims, Having started in the strict legal context, the Pasuk um, deviates, not really deviates, but progresses to a different area. Very few of us, as I mentioned earlier, will act as judges in the official capacity. Every one of us renders judgments about people. And to a degree, we have to render judgments about people because viewing other people's lives, we're able to mark and calibrate our own lives. We see certain lifestyles which we find agreeable, and we emulate those and try to simulate and copy. Those lifestyles which we, which we find um, inappropriate, we try to uh, negate, we try to disagree with. But there's a difference between judging and being judgmental. And this Gemara and Sanhedrin encourages us, at least when we judge other people, and when that judgment becomes personal, to render that judgment with softness and compassion and to favor and to assume the best in people rather than assume the worst in people. So if we're not judging their religious decisions, but just their motives, their behavior, it isn't ideological, but personal. We give people the benefit of the doubt, even in the world of ideology. One of the great Hasidic masters, the Rabbi Yitzchak Vivarditschuk, was well-known Hasidim. Um, Talmud of the Magim Measurets, 
excel particularly in this area of trying to um, understand understand religious failure in a more favorable light. Part of the entire Hasidic movement was to provide a response to um, a quickly deteriorating religious level of observance in 18th century Europe. 18th century Europe, European Judaism becomes centered around Talmud Torah, and that was certainly a very powerful basis for religious growth for those who could succeed at Talmud Torah. But for many, Talmud Torah would not and could not become the central or chief value of religious experience. And Hasidus found different solutions. And Rabbi Yitzchak's part of his solution was to understand and to almost validate, not validate religious failure, but locate deeper religious virtue, deeper religious virtue in a Jew which may not come to bear in strict formal religious practice, but to celebrate and to evaluate that Jewishness, that experience, and to lend it religious overtones, even though it didn't express itself in classic religious behavior. So in, in many respects, it's not just if you're a book critic, a literary critic, and you're asked to render judgment about Soma Melech's latest Sefer to hit the newsstands at the bookstores. But we render judgments about people on a daily basis, and we're forced to. But are those judgments comparative, assessing other people, charting your path? If they become spiteful, angry, dismissive, condescending. And that phrase in Kiddushim, that said that Kishpat Amisecha, and the accompanying explanation of Sanhedrin Lamedes, have they done this Kaladam Makapskos? And even that is a very challenging mitzvah, obviously. Torah doesn't encourage us to become naive. If we see something which, as most rational and thinking people would interpret as a, as a sinful act, we can assume that it's a sin. We can assume that that's but so many gray areas. And we normally judge ourselves by our potential. We judge other people by their behavior, which, of course, allows us to judge ourselves favorably and other people harshly. And really, we should invert that. We should judge people by their potential and see the upside in people and see the good qualities in ourselves. We should submit to a very harsh sense of judgment and justice. We expect more of ourselves and are less satisfied with their own mediocrity and our own um, lethargic or lukewarm religious activity. There's yet a third application of having Masunim Badin, also suggested by Avos Jebinasen. And this one, if, if anything, very, very far removed from the world of uh, the judicial world and the legal world. Right? The first parallel association was structurally similar. You're not judging two litigants, you're judging a person, his or her lifestyle, their ideology, their behavior, their decision-making. But Abbas of Nassim quotes a third definition. The word Masunin is re-engineered to mean the someone who isn't always exacting and demanding that their words and requests be fulfilled. Mamsin means you wave, you, you're forgoing and forgiving even if your requests weren't performed. You don't become angry when your expectations weren't met. And according to Abbas Dravnasa on this phrase, Misunim Badin becomes a 
a hieroglyph or a code for someone who is slow to anger, doesn't become agitated when his requests aren't granted. Mamsin al-Dvarav. Mamsin al-Dvarav. Hard to really interpret the word Mamsin. He waits on his words. He he forgoes his expectations, his instructions. The opposite, according to the language of Abbas and Nassim, is al-Yihiyada makbid al-Dvarav. Not to be always demanding, exacting, expecting. And of all the examples for al-Tanakh of someone who failed in this area, ironically enough, Moshe Rabbeinu's failure in Parshas Matos is highlighted. In Balak, of course, the Jews are manipulated by Bilam and Balak and the women of Midian. And in Pinchas and in Matos, Am Yisrael wages war, a war of retribution against Midian. And Moshe offers very strict instructions about what to do with the Midianite women who were the source of so much uh, temptation and seduction. And unfortunately, his instructions aren't heeded. And when the generals return and Moshe realizes his instructions weren't applied, he becomes very angry by itself. Moshe, as I'll mention, because of that anger, he forgot some of the halachos. And the Lazar, Aaron's son, had to relay the related halachos pursuant to the return from war, in particular, Hado Kasher, how to remove the embedded flavor so that the from the walls of the utensils so that these utensils could be used for kosher food. And Moshe is portrayed as the quintessence ironic because Moshe was so forgiving and was so forbearing and tolerating and almost self-annihilating in his love and commitment to the Jewish people. And, but of course, an irony is to highlight that even someone of Moshe's commitment is taken to task for this temporary, almost momentary slip. And it's not even a slip, but in Moshe Rabbeinu's caliber, and at his level, it could be considered a slip. So on the one hand, it's a classic statement about the dangers of anger. Moshe's anger forgets Torah. He doesn't forget Torah as a punishment only since he became angry. Hashem took away some of his Torah knowledge, but the second you become angry, you see Hashem a little bit less. You can't, be, you couldn't be that angry if you felt Hashem's presence. It's powerful. Right? The more powerful you sense Hashem, the less personal anger you allow to well up or to emerge. If you see Hashem less because your anger and your self-interest has supplanted the presence of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, then of course your hold on Torah will be less, because you are less attuned to Kodesh Baruch you're less attuned to the divinity of Torah, or you're less retentive of Torah. But, here's not just anger in general. There are many different components, many different facets to anger and to anger management. Very often the source of anger are unfulfilled requests, whether they are spoken requests and spoken expectations, you offer instructions, and typically those instructions are offered to those who you expect to fulfill them, people who are morally subordinate to you, whether it's a child, a student, a younger person, um, a colleague who you expect them to fulfill and to um, perform your expectations, and those expectations are not performed, person gets angry, or unspoken expectations. 
but the same dashed expectations are caused. A person gets stuck in a traffic jam, a person gets into the wrong lane, things that make us angry. Well, my time is very important. I expect society or the entire traffic grid to coordinate their travel around my needs because my needs are just so important. And other things which make us angry when our time is wasted or our needs are unmet or our interests are aren't served. And here the, the, here the Mishnah and Avastavnasin is striking at the root of anger. If you're Machbe, you constantly feel that your words, your needs, your expectations are significant and important have to be met. Well, that's a recipe for quick anger. If you're Mamsin Aldevar, if you're easygoing, you have a less, less of a high regard and high evaluation. And you hope that your needs and expectations are met, but if they're not, you're not brought to anger and disappointment. So you can perhaps avoid the source of so much anger and so much uh, disappointment. So this is the first statement of the first Mishnah of Berkei Avosev in the Sunim Madin, literally to render judgment and justice in a slow and deliberate fashion. Avosev Nassan elaborates beyond the judicial parameters. On the one hand, it discusses the way we judge ideas, people, behavior, concepts. On the other hand, the way we speak and behave in the face of disappointment, adversity, frustration.